Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning, church. Man, that was so much better than last week. I am so proud of y'all. I am so proud of y'all. I want you to repeat something with me. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you really feel that way this morning? Do you really feel that you have a reason to be joyful this morning? You know, we have a habit of saying that joy and happiness are the same thing, but they're totally different. You see, our happiness so many times is dictated by our circumstances, by things, by people, you know, but our joy is to be grounded in Christ and the hope that we have in Him. Therefore, as children of God, we should always be what? Joyful. Now, some of you may not feel that way all the time, and maybe we need to work on that, but this is the day that God has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 1 is where we're going to start this morning. We're going to begin a series called Experiencing Biblical Community. Experiencing Biblical Community. And today's particular lesson is going to center around the idea of of we are born to belong. We are born to belong. As children of God, we have had our sins washed away, and we have not only had that blessing come from that moment of baptism, it's not just salvation that we receive, but we receive a new family. Now, I heard somebody uh, say one time that friends are the family that you choose, and family is the family you just kind of get stuck with. Now, I don't necessarily feel that way about church family. Church family is not a group of people you get stuck with. Church family is a group of people that you are blessed to be in spiritual fellowship with. It is a blessing to be able to look around a room and see this kind of family together. I don't know about you. I know in my life when when I am faced with difficult decisions, uh, go back, rewind just a few weeks ago as... As I was given the offer to uh, to come and work with you guys, as I was actually here uh, for the interview that weekend, that, that morning, when I had to have my interview at 8 o'clock in the morning, and that scared me to death because I'm like, if they don't lock me at 8 o'clock, there's no reason for me to preach at 9.30, you know. But I called a church family member to pray with me in that moment. Not not some of my regular family, but a church family member. You see, our church family is so, so important to our lives. And as we begin this study, we're going to look uh, through the first nine chapters of the book of Acts. And we're going to look at this, what starts out today, as a very, very small group of people. A very small group of people, 120 people that were together and they were praying and they were just kind of living life together after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And we're going to see how they go from 120 small little church to by the end of chapter 2, they become a mega church in uh, the city of Jerusalem. And then they're going to take that mega church and they're going to start planting all of these churches all over the known world. But we're going to see how that fellowship, that spiritual connection kept them together and how they functioned in that and how they lived in that. And, and, and that's going to be kind of 
what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Now, we live in a society today, as we kind of get into this idea today, we live in a society today that is more connected than we have ever been. It is more connected than we have ever been. I, um, it's hard for me, and maybe for you too at this point, to imagine your day-to-day life without your cell phone. Anybody live that way? That if I were to take your cell phone away from you for 24 hours, it would affect not just who you talk to, but it would affect your job. It would affect your performance level of what you're able to accomplish. How many of you would just feel, for lack of better words, empty, naked, without your phone if I took it away from you this week? Okay, so some of you, some of you are telling the truth this morning and some of you are lying, okay? Some of you are lying. And now, and back here somebody's pointing fingers at who's lying, so. We are so connected. We are so connected. I really appreciate that the second day that we were here, we checked the mailbox and some people back from Kingston had already sent the kids some cards in the mail. Now, that took probably three, they had to do that like two days before we left for them to get here. How many of you remember the time that if you ever wanted to just send someone a letter or, or thought of encouragement, like it took a couple of days to get a letter out, right? Now it's just, we're so, just shoot a text message, send an email. Um, I can tell when you go to the grocery store, thanks to social media. I know exactly what you're having for breakfast and lunch and dinner, whether I want to or not, you know. We're so connected. Yet research tells us that despite how connected we are, our society is one of the loneliest societies ever in the history of America. Now, how does that happen? How do we get so connected yet live a life of such loneliness? Because connectiveness is not the same as relationships. Connectiveness is not the same as relationships. I was telling someone in the back just a little while ago, over the last months, once I accepted the job, my Facebook friend request box has just gone crazy. And I mean, I'm looking at my Facebook feed, you know, on a daily basis at that point. And I'm like, I don't know who that is walking their dog this morning, but they look like they're having a great time, you know. And, 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 And I'm finally learning that some of your faces on my Facebook post that I'm reading, you know, y'all are from here. And then there's still some people that I'm like, I've not even met these people yet. I don't know. And so we're connected, but do we have a relationship? Not, not, I've been here, I've been here a week and a half. We, we kind of, we, we know each other's faces, but as far as a relationship goes, we've really not had time to really form that yet, have we? You see, our society is all about being connected, but not about forming deep, meaningful relationships anymore. We don't take time to go and sit on our neighbor's front porch and visit with them and talk with them. But as we open up and we read this story, we see something different happening with this group of believers here in Jerusalem. I want you to go to verse 12. I want you to go to verse 12. Put your finger there. 
We just read the first few verses of this chapter, and when it kind of sets the stage, Jesus has begun, or is not going to not begun, but he is ascending back into heaven. And as he's going to do that, he gives his final kind of thoughts to his to his closest group of friends, and he says, "Look, you have the responsibility. This is Matthew paraphrase here. Okay, you have the responsibility to go out and convince all of these people to love me and to follow me." Teach them, baptize them, disciple them. And then, and the kind of the rest of it here, he says, now look, the power of the Holy Spirit's gonna to come to you, you're gonna have him with you, I want you to start in your backyard, then go into town, and then go into all the world, and spread my gospel. And what we see in verse Verse 12 is how this all kind of started. What they did as soon as Jesus gave them this particular command. Starting in verse 12, he says, The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphas, and Simon the Zealot, and Judah, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served and guided for those, who served and guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And if you keep on going down to verse 21, he's going to say, hey, now it's necessary for us to find someone to replace Judas. And we'll touch more on that here in just a few moments. But in the very beginning of this small group, this small group of community believers of Jesus, there are some very important things that we see that have to be in place for us if we're going to experience great Christian community. The first thing is this, verse 13. Very simply, they were together. They were together. They had spent the last 40 days or so with Jesus prior to this, listening to his last pieces of advice, his last and final teaching. And then as, as Jesus ascended back into heaven, they go back together to this group of people, and I'm sure they share that experience, but I think it's so important to underscore the fact that they were living together. They were eating together. They were sharing meals with one another. They were doing the mundane things of life together. They were living the ups and the downs of, of, of maybe the emotional swing of having Jesus one minute. I mean, just think of that emotional swing for a moment. They see Jesus die. And, and they have to bury Jesus. And that's an emotional thing in and of itself. Then Jesus returns. And that's got to be like a, a really emotional, spiritual high because in the back of their mind, you know they had to be thinking there's no way a man really comes back from the dead. But Jesus does. And they've got him for 40 days. And they're used to him being back around. And now all of a sudden he's gone again. I mean, these guys emotionally had been up and down, up and down. And they're dealing with that together in a room with one another. They're building this great community. I don't know about you, but in my life, in the way that I've experienced things through growing up 
in, in a wonderful youth group and being in ministry pretty much from the moment I graduated high school. Some of my greatest community moments come in a cabin at church camp, in a dorm room at Horizons at Fried Hardeman, on a bus traveling to New York on a mission trip. Those are places that you really begin to experience relationship growth with people. You know, we're not supposed to just kind of shut our doors and just be so inward focused that we forget the world that we're supposed to be saving. But I think many times we, we get our, our fill of each other on Sunday morning. We stare at the back of each other's heads. And don't get me wrong, some of you have great looking back of your heads, okay? But we look at the back of the heads that are in front of us and we say, oh, well, we've been with our brothers and sisters, but we don't build community in a worship service on Sunday morning. We build it by living our lives with each other, by experiencing our lives with one another. And I think that's why he mentions all the apostles. What does the, what happens to the apostles after the death of Jesus? What happens to the apostles after the death of Jesus? What do, what do they do? Do they stay together? They scatter, don't they? They go back to doing what they had been doing before Jesus calls them. And Jesus comes out onto the Sea of Galilee one day and he sees these former apostles of his that he had left, you know, to, 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 to do great things. He sees them out there attempting to fish. Anybody know that feeling of attempting to fish? You do all the things you're supposed to do to catch fish, but nothing happens. And that's what these guys are doing. Okay. And Jesus takes this moment to really teach one of his final and greatest lessons. And they spend the next 40 days. And when Jesus leaves the second time, what do the apostles do? Do they scatter this time? No, they stay together. And I think that's so powerful. Because you see, these apostles, at their core, they're just like you and they're just like me. They're men, they're people with names and experiences and different experiences with even though they had been with Jesus for three years I'm sure they all had different ways they experienced those three years with Jesus and that is just like us we're all different we all have great gifts given by God but even those are unique and those are different we have different experiences but when we come together and we focus on the same God and the same mission we will experience a spiritual relationship that God expects us to have in our lives. So we have to live our life together. The second observation here that I want us to make is that they prayed together. They prayed together. If you go over to chapter 2, go over to chapter 2 and verse 42, you're going to learn in our time together. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 is one of my favorite passages to preach from. We're not going to get to it right now. We're just going to look at a couple of words. But I want you to know that you're really going to get to know this section of Scripture because I love it so much. But it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to, what does it say there? Prayer. Let let that sink in for a second. They devoted themselves to prayer. 
They devoted themselves to prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. The early church, this small group of believers, they were a praying church. They, 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 they weren't just people who said prayers. They weren't just believers in prayer. This word devoted means that prayer was their constant companion. And if we were to visit this new community of believers, we would see a community that was being created around the commitment to prayer. To say that they were devoted to prayer means that their meetings, their gatherings were marked by intense times of praying. You're going to see later on that the apostles give up ministry opportunities so that they can spend time praying together. This was a community that was no short Nothing short of being a house of God. Their prayer lives were so strong that they shook the foundations of a house. Now that's a praying church, isn't it? That's a praying church. We need to be a community of believers that not just, that, that, that we're not just people who pray, but we are devoted to our prayer life. Now let me ask you a question. What does a church that prays together look like? What does a church that prays together look like? We see it's a church that as people are walking down the hallways, you see small groups of people just stopping and praying with one another. It's a church, it's a group of people that when they have conflict, the first thing they do together is not defend their own position. No, it's they pray together in hopes that God will reveal the solution. A praying church is a church, is a group of people that when someone asks you to pray for them, you don't say, okay, I'll do that later. You stop right there and you pray with them, not just for them. A church that is devoted to prayer will see people who do radical things for the kingdom of God because they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit because of their commitment to their prayer life. And that is what God has called us to do. That is what God has called us to be. And you see, when we pray like that, we will realize that our prayers just aren't supposed to be about us. They're supposed to be about other people. And our prayers will quit being just conversations of requests, and they will be conversations of thankfulness. And they will be conversations of praise. And they will be conversations of adoration to our God. And if you're not careful when you pray this way, you will do things in the kingdom of God that you never imagined. It is because of their devotion to prayer that they were able to go from 120 to a mega church, to planning churches. It all started with a commitment to a devotion to prayer. Are we a committed church to prayer? Are we truly devoted? Is prayer our companion, both as individuals and collectively as a body of Christ? If not, it must be. It has to be. And when we make it that way, we will experience a level of intimacy with each other that we've never experienced before. Let's, let's, let's keep moving on. 
The final observation is they got on with their jobs together. They got on with their jobs together. Peter stands up. Something happens in the 40 days from Jesus' death to this moment. In that two and a half month period maybe that we're kind of looking at here. Something happens to Peter. Peter goes from the guy who wants to be a leader and has a better, uh, does a better job of sticking his foot in his mouth than leading to the guy that is the leader of this bunch. And I think a lot of it has to do with that face-to-face conversation that he has with Jesus, that great forgiveness moment of, hey, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, you know that I love you. Then go feed my sheep. And he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. Then go feed my sheep. And he asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes off on this rant of, yes, this is how much I love you. And he's like, he's real frustrated. And he, what does he says, then go feed my sheep. And he has this great moment of forgiveness. And I, and I think something changes in Peter in this moment. And so Peter's in this room. Listen, it, Prayer is powerful, but prayer should always push us to action. We can't just be a church that sits in a room and prays about things. We then have to put that faith into that prayer, and we have to go out and do the things that we're praying about. We have to put our faith in motion. You know, it's this is what we have a habit of doing sometimes. We have a habit of of being great biblical wordsmiths and scholars. Whether we admit it or not, that's kind of how we are sometimes. I want you to think about this, because we use some terminology that's kind of funny sometimes. We always talk about the Greek and what the original language was and what it meant back then, but we don't always put it into practice. I heard a guy say it this way one time. He goes, we're kind of like teenagers and cleaning their rooms. What if your teenager came to you and you said, okay, look, it doesn't even have to be a teenager. It can be your own kids. Uh, that are younger than that, but you say, hey, look, I want you to go clean your room. Now, what do you expect them to do when you tell them to go clean their room? You expect an action, right? You expect an action. What if they came back and they go, you know what? I called some friends over. We got together. We sat on the bed. We got out a notebook. We talked about what it means to clean your room. We looked at it in the original language and figured out that cleaning your room means great organization efforts in your dwelling place. And then we talked about it amongst ourselves and decided that if someone were to clean their room, this is exactly how it would look and how it has to go in the process in which it must take place. And then we prayed about it. But they never cleaned their room. Do we have a habit of doing that in church work? That we talk about what things mean. We talk about what they used to mean and what they should mean in the proper way that if we were going to do them, that we should go about doing them. In this particular passage, they spend a time of prayer together and then Peter gets up and says, hey guys, there's some things we need to be doing. The first order of business, Judas, we've got to replace him. We've got to bring another guy into this process. We've got to bring another guy onto this team so we can accomplish what we need to accomplish. 
When you spend enough time praying, it should lead you to actions. There is a passage that Paul writes that he says as leaders, okay, as, as preachers, as evangelists, as elders, as teachers, okay, that we have a specific job. Our job is to equip the saints for service, for ministry. It's to give them the tools so that they can grow and do the things that they need to do to disciple and spread the Word of God. And what I see across the board, I'm not necessarily talking about here, but what I see across the board in our churches as a whole is there is a groups, groups of leaders who have quit equipping and they're doing a lot of wordsmithing. It's time for us to get busy. It's time for us to work together. Just a few weeks back, you guys participated in, what is it called? We are the sermon day. How many of you, and I hope a bunch of you raise your hand, how many of you, that's one of your favorite Sundays of the year? Why? Because you see, it's not just about work. It's about the connection that comes when you're working. It's about the fellowship that takes place as you're striving toward the same goal. It doesn't need to be about one Sunday, though. It needs to be about every day. Every moment that we have, we need to be working together to show people how much we love them, to show people how much God loves them. We need to be working to raise our kids together. We need to be working to ministering to those who are older than us together, to those who are younger than us together. And when we work together, we will have shared life experiences that develop great relationships and build amazing community. And that is what our goal is, is to experience the community that Christ wants us to experience. He left a great last statement with his apostles. There is a group of men together in a room. They're taking Passover. And then Jesus takes these elements of Passover and he shares with them this great memorial of the Lord's Supper. Before that happens, he's washing the feet of everybody in that room. And then as all of that's winding down, he says, a new command that I give you. A new command. What was that new command? Love one another. That's an old command. What's the new part of it? As I have loved you. And you know, I don't think that really sunk in until they're standing on the Mount of Olives and here comes Judas. And then a few hours later, Peter's denying him. And he's saying, love as I've loved you. Love the same way as I've loved the guy that has betrayed me, the guy that has denied me. You love the same way. And this group of, of Jesus followers, they took that to heart. And they built a community on that foundation of loving one another. And I hope as we continue this series that we will become that church built on a foundation of loving each other as Jesus loved and growing in our community with each other. Let's go to God in prayer as we close our time. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for the time of worship that we've had, that we've been able to just lift our spirits into your throne room this morning through song. I thank you for the opportunity to study from your word. 
I thank you for Jesus and his great command of loving as he's loved. That is so hard to do, God. But it's something we must strive for every single day. God, this morning I pray for us as a church family, as a family connected to each other through your spirit. I pray that we will strive to develop deeper relationships with one another so that we can grow the church that you want here in this town. Bless us, God. Just continue to pour your blessings on us and allow us, encourage us, motivate us to use those blessings as reasons to serve you even greater tomorrow. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m., and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.